Welcome, teacher friend. I'm Lori. And I'm Melissa. We are two literacy educators in Baltimore. We want the best for all kids, and we know you do too. Our district recently adopted a new literacy curriculum, which meant a lot of change for everyone. Lori and I can't wait to keep learning about literacy with you today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Literacy Podcast. Melissa and Lori love literacy. We can't wait to talk to today's guest because she is a rock star. And we we mentioned her briefly in one of our podcasts. And very after briefly. mentioning, very briefly, very briefly, <laughs> and after very briefly mentioning her, we were flooded with emails. What... What is her story? How did she do this? (laughs) Who is she? Tell Tell me more about her. (laughs) So we are today, we get to tell you more about someone who we mentioned very briefly in one of our podcasts, uh, Miss Angie Hanlon. So thank you, Angie, for joining us on the podcast. I'm so excited. Oh my gosh. Thank you both so much, Melissa and Lori. I'm so excited to be with you and to get to talk to you. Um, I've listened to the podcast, so now I can't believe I'm actually getting to talk to you (laughs) and be on a podcast. So yeah, it's kind of the highlight of my week so far. So thank you. Oh, well, thank you. We've read, we read about your story and we, we, we're just inspired. So we're very excited to talk with you today and just thrilled that you said yes to podcasting with us. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. So can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background, sure. where you are now? Yes, yes. I, yes, I would love to. I'm in my 23rd year of education. And in those years, I've been um, an elementary classroom teacher in grades three, four, and five, an instructional coach, a literacy consultant, um, done several years as a curriculum and professional development coordinator. And then I spent six years as an elementary principal. And all of that work was done in the um, at Matthews Elementary in the New Madrid County R1 School District. That's in Southeast Missouri. And I am currently in my first year. It's still like odd to say this as a superintendent <laughs> um, in in Thorpe, Wisconsin. So I moved to Thorpe, Wisconsin on July 30th, and I started my day one here as superintendent on July 1st. So exciting. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So you, you're like learning all over again a little, right? I I, mean. <laughs> I am. So I kind of wrapped up this, I really feel like wonderful journey. I feel like we had this inspirational journey and we did this great work in my time in New Madrid County R1. Um, and especially the years as the six years as principal of Matthews Elementary were really the absolute highlight of my entire career, like every day of that work. And now I've honestly started over on a brand new journey, and this one is equally exciting, um, you know, for very different reasons, but, and the chance to be a superintendent and to make, you know, to have an impact on an entire district and a community, and it's just been very, very exciting. New, I mean, it's still a new journey, but it's very, very exciting. That's what yeah. I was going to say. You're right at the beginning of the journey, though. <laughs> I am, yeah. But it's so exciting for the possibilities. We had a data meeting yesterday, our weekly, um, we call it dot card meeting. So we look at our weekly progress monitoring data and, you know, to hear about the student growth. And so it's all exciting. I, I know it's like a brand new journey. They've kind of been on the journey and now I've joined them. And we're doing this journey together. But, yeah, it's just very, very exciting. It's kind of exciting, though, to go back and do it again. 
I wondered what that would feel like, you know, as I knew yeah. that I was leaving Missouri. Like, what's this going to be feel like? But it's been well, exciting. You, I mean, you get to, you really get to think about affecting change in a whole district, yes. right? Versus yeah. a school. So yes. that's already huge. Yeah, the, <laughs> yeah, that's huge. So, you know, I never wanted to leave the classroom. And so mm-hmm. then I was pulled out of the classroom to be an instructional coach. And each time, each each level that I've gone to, I've just always thought about, like, who are the students that I'm working with at the time? And then how many students do I have the possibility with this team to reach? And so, you know, you have between 25 and 30 um, in a classroom. And then you go to a building principal. And then you have a building And then the exciting thing about superintendent is it's the whole district Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's all the students and all the teachers and all the parents. And then also the community, you know, how can you engage that community and can I possibly have a difference on an entire community? So it's, I'm humbled by the chance that I even get that opportunity. So just, you know, hoping and dreaming of great things here. Absolutely. Well, we can't wait to read about this journey and the story that you're about to, you know, I mean, you're in the midst of impacting change with this, uh, this new venture in your life, but we're hoping that you might be able to share your incredible story of change that, you know, from, from Missouri, um, before we get any further, because there is a reason why you are superintendent right now. And I believe that part of it is not just who you are, but what you did. So would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Sure. So I started as um, I was a classroom teacher in New Madrid County, was pulled out to become the instructional coach. And the reason why I talk about that is it was um, there's one key aspect that was very, very important. We started giving professional development on research based instructional practices. And we had what I call pockets of success. There were five buildings and we had some great things going on. But the struggle we were having is to find just an entire building where it was with 100% fidelity in the entire building. So the building where I had taught at for, um, I think, like 13 years came available for me to be the principal. And I accepted that. And I thought, oh, you know, the chance to go be building principal. Mm -hmm. And I had had some consultants that really have been my mentors for many, many years. And those ladies were Dr. Vicki Gibson, Dr. Jan Hasbrook, and then Patty Montgomery. And I was talking to them at Plain Talk And I'm like, you know, there's this opportunity. And they're like, yeah, you absolutely need to do that. And then set this up at at the building level and make this happen. So I became the principal um, seven years ago now at Matthews Elementary in the district and um, started our work there. And I had been out of the building three and a half years being instructional coach. And I was a little surprised, kind of, it wasn't quite the same when I went back, um, So when I started, there was low morale. Um, There was very high rate of absenteeism. There was an extremely high rate of discipline referrals and incredibly low scores. And I think all of that combined then had led to very low morale. So we um, got our state test in Missouri. It's called the MAP test. And so our spring scores came out and we got those very late in the summer. And I immediately kind of put us on a self-imposed school improvement plan of like, oh my gosh, we've got to do something. But then a couple of months in, we were identified as a state of being like a school turnaround school. And at the time in Missouri, it was called a focus school. 
And so that is really the catalyst that kind of sparked the whole change. Um, and so we got our information and I am actually, um, I was going to say, I was actually a bit excited. That sounds so odd. I was a bit excited when I got the call from the state that, you know, you're a focus school. A lot of people said, weren't you discouraged? I'm like, no, I was actually encouraged because it's like someone has noticed that we've got improvements to make. And now this is a really I've looked at this as an opportunity to really create a sense of urgency and to go forward. So at that time, when we were identified, we were coming off of a state, a building average for grades three, four, and five on the state assessment, ELA of a 13%. Okay, so and then our math percentage was a 5%. So 13% of third, fourth, and fifth graders were proficient in ELA, and 5% were in mathematics. Um, As far as the benchmark scores the spring before, they had less than 20% of the school population was at the 50th percentile or higher on AIMSWeb, and less than 10% um, were at the 50th percentile or higher in mathematics. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So... We had a meeting in the library to kind of tell everyone, bring the staff in and like, okay, this is where we are. And even hearing those scores that I just said, there was so much shock. Um, It was very like kind of almost like grief stricken of like, what? But then there was this shock. And the first things the teachers were kind of like, there's no way, like that's got to be a mistake. Everyone's looking around. So I'd had our scores covered up. So I kind of took off the sheet and I'm like, Let's let's look back at, you know, where we are. And it was such a discouraging moment, but it was also a powerful moment. And I remember saying, we have got to own these scores. This is where we are. We have to know where we are and we've got to own this data. And I began to smile and I'm like, because here is why. This is why we have to own these numbers. We've got to own this 13. We've got to own this five. We've got to own this less than 20 and this less than 10 because we are not staying here. This is where we are right now, but this is not where we're going. And so I told them, if we want to own the 90, the 95, and 100, because that's where I believe we can get to, then we've got to own these scores behind us. Yeah. And so I then think, I go oh, ahead. Sorry. What stands out to me and what I feel like I've I've seen with like other, you know, it may be in another school done it in the past. Uh, I'm, I'm sharing something from my career, but I'm not going to name the school. <laughs> okay. That the... The leader asked why, like, why do we think this is the case? And I think what you did was so much more powerful because it doesn't really matter why it is the way it is. It's, it's just, it is what it is. It's, we're going to, I think I shared in the pre-call, I was like, Angie, what you did was I think called radical acceptance. And I love it. (laughs) Like you were like, we're radically accepting that this is where we are. And the question is not why based, it's how, how Mm -hmm. can we get to a hundred percent? How can we service our students better? And you you know, you didn't even like pose that. You were just like, we're moving. And then, you know, we're going to work together to figure out how, (laughs) but like, here's, here's some first steps and here's how we're going to approach this. But I love your, your, your thought of let's just radically accept where we are, because that is, that probably was the hardest moment for everyone. Like I imagine Uh, that just being incredibly difficult. 
Absolutely. I remember getting so choked up because I had taught with those teachers. I mean, this was the staff yeah. that I had been with and they were phenomenal teachers. I mean, and it was a great school and, and I could see on their faces, I mean, as they were turning around looking at each other and I let them, I said, you know, take a minute and like turn and talk. And so as they were like, we've worked so hard. And, right. and that's the thing that I'm like, let's just admit that this is a great school. This is a great staff. But we've got to do things differently, you know, so we're going to we're going to start this and we're going to accept this and we just need to accept this and where we are. And I, it took me back to John Hattie's like people tease me that you can't have a conversation with me without me saying John Hattie. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's true. We've can't. talked to you twice yeah. now and you yeah. mentioned no, yeah. it. And I have a, I, I have two copies and I have one that always stays on my bookshelf and one stays on my desk. So I just picked up the one off my desk. But um, in his assessment capable learners, you have to know where am I? Where am I going? And how close am I to that goal? So it's mm-hmm. like, you've got to accept where we are. Just own it and own it because you aren't staying there. Like I get it. If you, you could be upset if, well, this is where we are and this is where we're going to stay, but no, we aren't staying there. That's just where we are right now. And so where are we going? And I'm like, okay, so I went back to Jane Hasbrook. What is possible? Yeah. So I asked them, what do you think is possible? And so I heard like 40%, 50%, 60%. I think, if I remember correctly, I think the highest we got in that meeting that day was 65%. They felt that 65% of students could read at grade level. And I'm like, okay, so Jan Hasbrook says, and now I've also heard Patty Montgomery say it multiple times, but 95% of students can read at grade level. And there's mm-hmm. just like silence. And I'm like, and that, that is where we're going. Yeah, it um, seems like such a leap from where they were. I can imagine yeah, being it, like, <laughs> well, and it sounds Ooh. it sounds almost like unbelievable, undoable. Right. Right. But I'm like, you know, we're that's not going to be the immediate goal. That's going to be a long term goal. So what we did was we set first year goals, one year, three year, five year, and I'm going to come back to that five year goal at the end because they've got they've just had some great news that the school has received with their new principal. Um and I guess I could go ahead and say it now, but I mean we started as like a focus school. Right. We started as a school turnaround. And so that day I'm like, where do we want to be? Where what's the ultimate? And that school had at one time been a blue ribbon school and a, a gold star school. A gold star school in Missouri. That means one of the top performing schools. And they're like, we want those banners back. Mm-hmm. And um uh Going to try not to get choked up. But that school just found out they've just achieved based upon their spring scores last year. That that team, we said that that day in the library and it's come true. They've just been identified as a gold star school. So, and how how long, like when did you sit in the library and have this conversation? When was that? That was six years ago. And so that then, that's kind of like your year one, your identification year. So your first year starts the next year of like when they really start looking at those scores. And we set the goal of we want to do this in three to five years. We had huge growth um, over three years. But then on that fifth year is, yeah. They're going to be a gold star school. That's so amazing. And it, it, it this, is. It's amazing. I, I just want to like impart some of the data that you shared in our pre-call and I, like, please take over after I, you know, start you off. Okay. But sure. 0% in grade four on state tests. There was not one child proficient, not even close on both there reading was. and math. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and so 
they went ahead, and so their scores last spring, um, it was my last year with them as principal. And I want to throw out, you know, this has been all through the COVID era yeah. and yes. all this pandemic. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, we none knew what we were getting into, and it, it's been a serious challenge. Mm-hmm. I I think that's probably the master masterpiece of an understatement by saying <laughs> it's been a serious challenge. It's probably been the greatest challenge we faced as educators, but yeah. in 2019, um, our, there was a group of third graders that reached the 95% proficient on the state test. And so then in fourth grade, you know, 2020, they didn't take the test because of right. shutdown. That's so right. we roll into the 2021 school year and we were on a blended school year last year. So that meant that there was like a group A and group B. There was a group that came Monday, Wednesday. There was a group that came, I'm sorry, there was a group that came Monday, Thursday, and a group that came Tuesday, Friday. And we did all of our work with our virtual students on Wednesday. We stayed blended from August through till February. Oh, wow. But we continued with high quality instruction, research-based instruction focused weekly on data. Um, And so... That group that was 95% proficient, like, yes, we had done it. They went to fifth grade and didn't test in fourth and fifth grade, and they hit 100%. Oh, my gosh. Stop. Percent, yeah, 100% of them. And yes. and not just that. 100% of them were proficient or advanced. 80% of those students were advanced. Wow. That's and amazing. The third grade, and they had been, you know, didn't finish their second grade year, going to third grade, spend three-fourths, three-quarters blended. They came out with 76% proficient, with 76% advanced, like it was, you know, um, and 77% proficient with over half of those students being advanced in fourth. And so, and math was the same way. I mean, the scores were high. And so then that put them at an ELA building average of 84%. And we had at one time, and that's coming off of 13. So we started with a building average of 13, and then we concluded with 80, yeah, Yeah. percent that then went to 84%. So you know the next question. Yeah. Right. (laughs) The question that everyone wants to know is... How did you do that? <laughs> How did you get there? Yeah, because I mean, am, amidst amazing. all of these reasons for failure, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this was a, diff, a a school that pulls lots of challenges. Absolutely, and- yeah. Um, we had always been like upper 80s and a 90% free reduced lunch with the majority of that percent being um, free lunch. Um a lot of like split homes, broken homes, a lot of students that were either like an open DFS case or in foster care. Um, I say often that that we really had every excuse that you could make for a reason why students couldn't perform. Um, they would come come to kindergarten either not being in preschool or not being really ready for school. Um, like I said, a lot of discipline concerns, lots of absenteeism, high rate of absenteeism. Um, but we just didn't use anything as an excuse. And one of the things that we had to do right off the bat was change our mindset. And it was all means all. Um, that really was the first thing we, there's a, there are mindset questions in the book, Visible Learning for Teachers. And we did that activity the summer before we started with my first year, brought the teachers in um, and really looked at what is the mindset of the school? Where are we? You know, what do we believe about ourselves? What do we believe about our school? And it was really changing that mindset that all 
can learn. They might not all learn in the same way. They might not all reach proficiency or mastery on the same day, but all can learn. That was the first thing. Um, the other, uh, our, one of our next steps was we've got to base all of this on data. So to do that, and sometimes this sounds odd, I think, when I say it, but we took, right off the bat, we took the focus off of teaching and put it on learning. I'll give you a second. That, that <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that like, again. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't so, it the same thing? No, I know it's not. <laughs> it, it's actually not. So we took the focus off of teaching and placed it on learning. And by that, my, my reasoning for that was this. You, if, even if you've just been a substitute teacher or like you're doing your student teaching, you know, you can have a beautiful lesson plan. And just because you taught it, and maybe even just because you taught it well, does not mean that the students learned it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to, so I'm like, I don't ever, let's not say, but I covered it or, but I taught that. I know. Yeah. You probably did teach it and you did cover it. Did they learn it? That's what we're going to look at. And the only way we're going to know is by a relentless vigorous look at that data. Um, but Patty Montgomery calls that a laser-like focus. Patty Montgomery of Schools Cubed um, calls it a laser-like focus on data. And so w- the school and the district, we had been really good at collecting it and kind of going through it and sharing it, but not deeply analyzing it. And then going to the level of every single student and then leaving a data meeting with a plan in my hands. What am I going to do when I go back into that classroom in whole group, small group? What are we going to do? So we decided that data would be the guide. It's not if we felt successful or if we felt like they had learned it looking at the data. Um, Angie, can you give some examples of the kinds of data you were looking at for literacy specifically? I know you did this for more than just literacy, but you know. Sure, like- <laughs> we did it We did it for literacy and math, but we um, were with AmesWeb, and then we went to AmesWeb. First it was AmesWeb 1.0, and then it was AmesWeb Plus. And so it's looking at those benchmark scores and not just looking at the three benchmarks. That's what we had done in the past, beginning, middle, and end of year. Mm -hmm. We added to that, and this is where we're at in Thorpe also, um, we added in six-week check-ins because, you know, beginning of year, you don't want to wait to December or January to see if there's a problem. So go six weeks in. That's two data cycles, so three weeks of progress monitoring and another three week, a six week check in, and who's making progress, who is not, and what are we going to do about it? Why is that, and what are we going to do about it? And then when we really had the change um, at Matthews Elementary is when we started looking at that weekly, and we did dot cards. And looking at the weekly progress monitoring, and again, those questions, who's making progress, why? who is not making progress and why, why do we think that is? And then what are we going to do in response to the data? And that was a meeting that I mentioned that we had had yesterday um, here in Thorpe is one of those dot card meetings of, you know, okay, looking at the progress monitoring scores. And here our assessment tool is FastBridge, but looking at those reading and math benchmark scores. And then we also use those state scores to set end of year goals on that as well. But the the data that we were talking about in our data meetings, that was the benchmark assessments. And in Missouri, it was um, AIMSWEB Plus, and then here it's FastBridge. And is, is that focused mostly on like foundational skills, phonics, fluency? Yeah. 
Yeah. And like letter naming, mm-hmm. um, letter naming fluency, letter sound fluency, nonsense words, you know, to see if a child can blend or not. Um, there's a fluency score, a CBM and fluency. Um, there's also, you know, you get things on comprehension, vocabulary, other things as well. But yeah, those foundational literacy scores. Okay. And uh, what I'm thinking is, this is really important that you're speaking about it right now as if you could go teach the same thing that the teachers are teaching. It feels like she did to me, at one point. I, I, I know. I mean, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. It, it feels like you really know your stuff. And that's what's striking me as important because one of the pivotal pieces that you mentioned once, but I'll say it again, is that leaders supported teachers with next steps when they went back to their classrooms. It was like yeah. they left with a plan. And I'd like to ask a clarifying question about that. Are they supporting with, like, does the tier one instruction stay the same? And then what the the next steps for teachers look like interventions for specific students? So I'm a, this is what I'm imagining, and then you tell me if this is right or wrong okay. or how it played out in your school. Okay. I'm imagining I'm a teacher. I'm sitting at the data meeting. I bring my data to this weekly data meeting. We come up with a concrete plan and I go back to my classroom. I continue to use whatever program I'm using to teach foundational skills to my whole group of students. And then I pull my different groups of students who, based on that data meeting, need Mm -hmm. specific intervention support. So maybe they need to be retaught, um, you know, digraphs or re, um, I notice that they're struggling with CVC words or their, um, you know, their letter naming, um, needs some refreshing or, or, uh, help. So I can pull them over to my, my table. I work with them explicitly on these skills and then I can come back to the data meeting and say, here's my data based on what I did this week with my students. Here's my intervention group data. Here's my whole group data. And what now? Like what next? Is that how that would work? So like tier one keeps moving. Absolutely. And then two, like, okay, so I'm going to use a very specific example that came up yesterday. So um, in tier one instruction, you can target those low students, like the students that are red, you know, those tier three students. You can target them even in in whole group before you even get them to the small group table. So there was, there were three students in a classroom that the teacher's like, you know, here are my three red dots. And I said, okay, so those three students pull those cards. This was yesterday afternoon. Pull those three cards. Okay. So every single thing that you read, because they're fluency, it's it's just not gone up and up. It's going up a tiny bit. So I said, all right, every single thing you read in whole group, let's say that you've done a whole group read on something or like you've read this list of sight words or whatever it is that you've just read. Okay. Blending lines, sentences, whatever it is. Then you target those students and then you call their name. I'm going to make up names like Sally, Bob, Tim. Okay, what did we just read? Read that again for us. And the students in the classroom don't know what you're doing. But as the teacher, you are specifically targeting those students. And you're doing all of that. And I said yesterday in the meeting, why are we doing that? And they're like, to increase the number of repetitions. Because it's all about increasing the number of repetitions. So even in Tier 1 instruction, we can begin targeting and drilling down and targeting those specific specific students that are struggling. So then when they get to small group, so like yesterday, it's like we always ask the question at each weekly meeting based upon this data that you're looking at right now, do you need to change your groups? It's like, well, yeah, 
I, I do. Okay. So what would that look like? You know? And so like this was at the fourth, fifth and sixth grade table when they were meeting together and talking. And so they were going to do a change in their groups. And so then I'm like, okay, but when they come to the table, you're still going to give an individual goal. So when they're reading in small group, remind them you're working on improving accuracy. Just real quick, right around that table, you're still working on improving fluency. You're at 117, and the next goal that we want you at, you know, we want you to try to get to 124 this next week. And so then go around and remind those students of what their individual goal is. And Mm -hmm. and in those meetings, especially from the beginning, middle, and end of your benchmark meetings and the six-week check-ins, it's if a teacher is unclear, this is where the leadership comes in. If they're like, okay, because this is what teachers, that you can't just tell them, go forth and do. You have to show it's model, model, model. So the leader has to be willing to go in and model in whole group, model in small group. And I think that's where the power comes in. Because then once a teacher sees it, it's like, oh my gosh, yes, I completely get that now. But if a teacher's unsure, you have to show them what does that look like in the classroom? What does that sound like? What is different about that? Then there are also teachers that want to try it in their room, but they want you to be sitting there watching and giving them feedback. In particular, like we have a second grade teacher that doesn't always want modeling, but she wants feedback mm-hmm. here. And so I've gone in her room so many times this year um, and the building leader as well. You know, building leaders are in in the classrooms here on a regular basis. I'm the superintendent still in rooms, but I mean, our, our building leaders are as well. And so then give them feedback on, yeah, is that, is that it, you know, and what can I do? What can I say to tweak that and and make that better? So exciting. I think it speaks to me very clearly that nothing is more important than instruction. Nothing, nothing is more important. And we've been doing, um, we're on our second book study as an administration team. And our first one was we went through the Wallace Foundation, you know, that research that what is it that effective principals do? And it came out of that, that you have to be an instructional leader and mm-hmm. you can get, you can gain extra, an extra three months of learning for your students with a highly effective building leader that had, that can be the instructional leader. And that's in those classrooms, giving feedback. We have a very explicit walkthrough tool that we use to then provide feedback to teachers. And then that also tells us, like, if a group of teachers are struggling, what do we need to give the next set of professional development on? Early release, what do we need to be talking about those teachers? And do we need a teacher to go watch another teacher, you know, based upon that? And our the book study we're on right now is Coherence by Michael Fullen and Joanne Quinn. And again, it's still talking about that, that book's about the right drivers in education. And the thing that holds it all together and the coherence is its leadership. It comes down to the, the building leader. So if, if there's a building or a district leader listening, um, I just feel like I always have to say it, it, it rises and falls on us. And we have to own that. And we have to be present in everything. Like a data meeting can't take place without us being there. And I know we have built, I know we have important things. I know there are fires spit out. I mean, again, there we've gone through a pandemic. There's always something. And I get that there can always be something, but there there's always something, comma. But <laughs> the the reason that we come to school each day is student academic success. 
And are they moving and are they not? And if not, what are we going to do in response to that? And we have to be, first and foremost, an instructional leader. And it rises and falls on us. And those teachers, those teachers get there. They make that impact on their students by our leadership or they don't do it by our leadership. Yeah. Yeah. Angie, I wanted to back up to because you taught me something as a leader the last oh, time okay. we met about the repetitions. You mentioned it when you were talking Melissa, about Melissa, we're that. thinking the same thing. I, no, we were. <laughs> I have it um, highlighted in yellow in our notes. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I just think like that's something that you brought to us in our meeting. And I was like, oh, wow, like that sparked something for me. If I was in the classroom, that would have changed the way I was teaching because of the of something you taught me. So can you just tell our about the like the importance of the repetitions and I forget the yes. exact numbers. You can, you can tell us. So, okay. So um, I've, we've talked already about that everyone can learn. All mm-hmm. students can learn. But we do know from research that different learners take, it takes, they need different number of repetitions to learn. So it's actually, it's on my dry erase board. I'm, I'm looking <laughs> at it right now in my office because when we have our meeting in here, you know, with teachers and admin, I'm like, look, it's right back there. So a gifted learner needs one to four repetitions. A typical learner needs four to 14 repetitions. A struggling learner, okay, so here we go, it's 14 to 40. And then a disabled learner or someone that's really struggling or learning disability, a child with dyslexia, something like that, 40 to 200 repetitions. So first of all, just kind of getting that, um, you know, we, we often say, Like if something worked, like how did that work? Like yesterday in the meeting yesterday, oh my gosh, a student had great growth. What it is. And like, I increased the number of repetitions. I counted the number of repetitions they were going to have with that whole group and how many they were going to have in small group. And I learned that um, as a building leader from Patty Montgomery, when schools cubed came in and started working with me um, and giving She really works with leaders and helping them know what to do and how to be an instructional leader and about school growth and everything. And so that stayed on the wall in our data room. And so it's something that here in Thorpe we refer to a lot, too. And it goes as specific as actually sometimes tally marking and thinking, looking in that manual, how many repetitions will they get in whole group? And then when I go to when I have them at small group, how many repetitions can I get there? whole group wrap up, how many can I get? And then if a child's being pulled out for intervention, how many repetitions can we get there? Mm -hmm. If it's a student with an IEP, okay, then we're coordinating with a special education teacher. How many repetitions can you get in your room? And it's constantly focusing on the number of repetitions we're bringing to those students in a day, a lesson, class period, and a week. And that comes from Marianne Wolf Mm -hmm. and her research. Um, you know, she's written a great, a lot of great books in literacy, um, Dr. Marianne Wolf. Um, so that's from her research. That's great. And I, I said it would have changed the way I would look at the way I taught, especially like these skills, right? These foundational skills that you want to make sure they get them <laughs> yeah. um, before they and move on. Of- I just, I would, I would normally think like, but I taught that I taught it five times. I taught it seven times. I taught it 20 times, you know, and you would think like, I don't know, I don't know what else to do. And just, just thinking that like, oh, well, they just haven't gotten the number of repetitions they need. Right. Like totally changed the way I would teach. (laughs) Yeah. And, And often it just comes down to that they haven't had enough repetitions. 
And, yeah. you know, it, it's sometimes sitting and planning with teachers. And I remember the first grade teachers um, at Matthews Elementary and we had out our manuals. I'm like, OK, so let's count how many, how many Miss Nelson going to give a shout out to Miss Nelson. She's fabulous. And I was like, <laughs> OK, so how many how many repetitions are in the whole group lesson, you know, in counting? OK, so how many groups are in small group lesson? Like, are we at 40? Like, no. Okay, so what are we going to do? You know, where are we going to plug in and get those repetitions at? And it's it's that specific of planning. So I always say that the how of so much of this or the what of so much of this work is the science of reading. Foundational literacy skills that the teachers have to know. They can't do this work if they don't have and if we don't deepen their knowledge base and deepen their foundational learning, and they've got to know the science of reading. That's really the what they need to know, and that's how we build their foundation. But they also have to know how to provide that. You mm-hmm. can't stop with just the science of reading. You've got to know how. And for our how, my how that I've always used either as instructional coach, principal, or superintendent is the work of Dr. Anita Archer, Explicit Instruction. That and the research-based instructional practices of John Hattie. That's the how. That's how you're going to deliver that. And then what's that going to look like and sound like in the classroom? Can you tell a little bit more about that, Angie? Like, what does that for people yeah, that don't so, know the, the, the researchers? Sure. So, um, Dr. Anita Archer, when – let me – can I back up just yeah. for one second? I always feel like I'm never sitting around quoting, like, Angie Hanlon. Like, this is never like an Angela Hanlon thing. So um, I'm always like pretty quick to point out like, hey, I didn't wake up knowing this. And when I was in the classroom, I did not know this. I am truly the product of high quality professional development. That journey began with Dr. Vicki Gibson, who taught me about, she's who I first heard about Anita Archer from Explicit Instruction, The Science of Reading, and then Jan Hasbrook from Gibson Hasbrook. That's really where my mentoring began. But Dr. Anita Archer has the I do, we do, you do. Um, We often now, if you've ever heard her present, it's often now too, you've got I do, we do, and lots of I do, I do, I do, model, 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 we do, we do, we do. And a lot of times now it's kind of like, you guys do it. I like y'all, you know, um, Southeast Missouri. Y'all do it, do it together, <laughs> and then you do it independently. But a lot of people think the explicit instruction is just the delivery of the lesson. And it's actually twofold. It's the design of the lesson. And that's where the design part of the explicit instruction is how many repetitions am I going to get? How many examples am I going to do of that? Am I going to do four or am I going to do 12? Because it's it's very different. And you've got to, the more time that as teachers we spend on the design of that lesson, the easier the delivery is. So I'll say that again. I just think it's critically important. The more time as teachers we spend on designing that lesson, the better the delivery rolls out, the better we can deliver it. So there's explicit planning and there's also then explicit delivery. And as far as like research-based instructional practices, um, John Hattie has his list. Always, if you ever want to know how much I used it, like look at all the tab, like this is tabbed and written. We see it. It's amazing. So there's the list of 
all the instructional practices ranked by effect size. And so we knew at Matthews Elementary, we were going to have to have at least two years growth to get these students two years or more. So we just, I literally took the book and found the 0.65. And like, there we go. Because 0.4, that's one year typical growth by a typical student and typical classroom, you know, average year's growth. We have to go beyond that. So it was all of those instructional practices above that. Um, and the big focus was assessment capable learners, you know, setting goals, um, giving high quality feedback. Um you know, space versus mass, that's a big one. It, not to just, this is back where you put it, take the focus off of teaching, place it on learning. But you can't just do a mass unit on that and expect yeah. kids will master that content. If it's that critically important, those standards, it's spiraling through and spacing that out, you know, and, and making sure I'm hitting those priority standards consistently all the time in my lessons. So... Do you want me to go deeper? Like, I could talk about that all day. So if you want a little more. I'm just like sitting here learning. <laughs> no, I love listening to you. I, I really love um, how you use your resources so wisely. And it sounds like you lean on them frequently, which yeah. instead yeah. of, you know, learning from lots of different, I'm sure that you continue to read, right? And Absolutely. And yeah. But I love how you have like your core resources you're like these are my foundational beliefs yeah. these are my foundations and they're like that I right there on. I love that every you're like it's right there on my dry erase board <laughs> yeah. it's right here on my desk yeah. <laughs> I mean well they're my inspiration and they're you know I mean if I ever am discouraged it's like wait a minute and this is what I think is anytime I've been asked to share any of my story or journey or whatever I always have said I've tried to say yes if, if at all possible because it's not anything like I don't have any secret powers myself, a like, wand. yeah, <laughs> no, there were no magic wands, you know, at Matthews Elementary, there are no magic wands in Thorpe. It's, and we don't have to reinvent this. That's the great thing. I think that's the message we need to get to all teachers. The research is there. Mm -hmm. And when I found out, I mean, when Vicki Gibson, I heard her present and said, this is 40 plus years of empirical research. I'm like, oh my gosh, why are we just not doing that? <laughs> well, why didn't we learn about it in college? I mean, that's a whole yeah, other that, question, but. <laughs> isn't it? That's a whole other discussion. I love Donna's. I love Donna. You know, Donna's. Oh, I, she's going to podcast with us. She agreed to. Oh, yeah. that's abs. I, I mean, I love her um, Facebook group, you know, what I, know. what I should have learned in college. And it's mm -hmm. so true. But one of the things that too, we said early on in our journey at Matthews is no blaming, no shaming. Mm -hmm. And the Reading League says that as well. It's a no blame, no shame zone. Laura um, Stewart always says that. Yeah. And that's what we did. It doesn't matter how we got here. We mentioned that earlier. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what you did not know. I mean, there's no blame there. But now that we do know, and now that we know what works, let's give up and get rid of what doesn't work. Let's get mm -hmm. rid of those things. What works and what are we going to do? That's why in those weekly data meetings, the why question is so important. Not just who made, who made progress. Why? What was it? Because this is what, I'm sorry, I get so excited. <laughs> this is what I want the teachers to realize. What was it that I did in my classroom this week that helped that child? achieve that, or as the interventionist, as they're sitting there looking at their student data, what was it that I did in my intervention group 
this week that led to the student making that growth? Because if we can, and then as they say that, like yesterday in the commons area, as they said that, then we have them share that out with everybody. You know, they've been working and like K-1's been working together, second and third, and then fourth, fifth, and sixth, but then share that out because we want everyone to then hear those things that work so everyone can do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what is it that works? And then we don't have to make this stuff up or reinvent it all the time. Can I ask? So I, I'm, ex- I love hearing this. And I know like one of the things that you mentioned earlier that I'm stuck on, obviously, are those number of repetitions because it's so clear. So I'm imagining if, you know, I'm, if I'm a teacher, I'm thinking, okay, one of the things I might have noticed would be repetitions. But can you share some of the things that you heard yesterday? Yes. Okay. So a big <laughs> one, a big one that we're focusing on right now is repeated readings mm-hmm. because fluency improves from repeated readings. So um, school-wide, actually, we have it K-8, um, we're doing dyad reading. And that is where you pair, you've got a partner, partner readers. And so the higher reader reads like the paragraph. It depends upon the age level, you know, mm-hmm. but maybe the few sentences or read the sentence. And then the lower reader does the echo reading. So they're hearing that better model of that reading of a fluent reader. And then they echo read that. So diet reading, we're doing that anywhere from seven to 10 minutes, depending upon the group. That And that is done daily religiously, like I gave the example. Okay, so if we find out we're getting dismissed, if we're dismissing early for school, like for snow or whatever, you get in the diet reading (laughs) and then like space versus (laughs) math, you get in your math minute and your number talk. You know, those are your (laughs) non-negotiables we've got to get through. But we have found that repeated reading, like sending home one passage, like a fluency passage or like a decodable or whatever it is, depending upon where that student is at and what work they need. If it's an accuracy, they're going to be, if it's an accuracy issue, they're going to be in decodable text. So it's not just new text every single day. It's that repeated reading of that passage, that story, you know, getting in that basal and doing the repeated reading. So lots of like maybe the teacher reads it, the students echo read it, and then like girls read, boys read, really digging in repeated readings. And so some of the teachers that had just a fluency group and some students were a bit, a bit stagnant or maybe weren't getting enough, enough growth on their kind of trend line to reach that end of your target. They increased repeated readings. And so it was so it was so exciting yesterday to see the fourth, fifth and sixth grade teachers because I love to walk around. You know, the administrators were walking around as the student or as the teachers are saying this. And so I'm like, so what they're like, what was it? And they're like, repeated readings. So I sent home and had that student sound the same passage and just read it like three times each night. You know, and that it's just like three minutes of work each night, but just focus on the same passage and then her fluency score went up. And that was the only change. So I know, you know, that's what. Did and it. it's so, such a so quick simple. win. Like, oh. there, I, I, I feel like in education, sometimes it's hard to see quick results, but there are some quick wins and that's one of them, you know, that, and that's so important to celebrate that and to share. That's a huge reading one. in general, yeah. right? Like it really does well, make a big difference. And I know too, like teachers will say, you know, cause time is always, you're always focused mm-hmm. on time. Do I, what do I have time for? And I've got to try to fit so many things in, in my time. This actually kind of simplifies it. Like you take a really meaty page of your text and that small group do, you know, repeated readings of different 
passage or paragraphs or sections of that text, and then you come back to that because it's the repeated reading that's going to boost that fluency score. Um, so you don't have to sit there in small group and try to reread every page of that story. Right. Back there. Right. And, and I remember trying to, in my first planning, my small group when I was first doing this work, how much of the story can I get through on Monday? How much can I get through on Tuesday? But, you know, once they've been introduced and kind of heard the whole story or read through it all, then really just pick a section of that story that you really want to drill down on. Um, a teacher, our seventh grade teacher came to me yesterday and said, should I really start looking at what the sections I'm having them do in diet reading? And I'm like, yes. Um, you know, like really pick a pivotal part of the story of like maybe where the problem or solution is at or like really it, it's deeply going into the character and really just have them like do repeated readings of maybe that page of text through the diet reading. So it's something that's so simple, but you get it's you always get such a big gain from it. Yeah. Oh, we are big fluency fans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I know that we, you know, you have lots of great ways to celebrate all of your quick wins and results. Do, would you share a little bit about who you get involved and how you do that? I mean, you don't have to go into great detail, but I just love how you involved everyone when you shared with us. Oh, okay. People. So um, we do celebrations like we have weekly newsletters that go out that the building administrators send out. And so there's like celebrations on there. Um, and so we put like like our first instructional focus of the school year was just a standards-based learning objective, clear learning objective on the board, and that it was posted and referred back to in the lesson. And so then, like, if you go around and you've seen that, then we'll either send out an email or put it on the newsletter, like, oh, my gosh, like 87% of teachers, you know, or like, and we started maybe like less than half, and then it's 67%, and then we're up to, I remember when we hit 72% and 76, and, you know, now we're up to, it's, it's 88% of the teachers doing it consistently 88% of the time. Um, we'll have things, too, that if you go in a room and something really great happens, just sending out an all staff email of like, Hey, this is great. It's, we start every, um, every data team meeting off with celebrations. You know, I said yesterday in the meeting, tell me something good. We all need to hear something good. Like what is something that happened this week? That's good. We also have, um, currently here in Thorpe, we have super referrals. If a student does something that's really, really great, if they've met a goal or, you know, this big accomplishment, then they fill out a super referral and then they come to the superintendent, you know, um, for their super referral. We do um, super shout outs for different things. Um, the students in when I was principal in Matthews Elementary, anytime a child met a goal, they got to come to the office and ring a bell. Um, and then, you know, sometimes I'd get a loudspeaker and kind of, oh my gosh, you know, like everyone listened to this, um, Never, it great achievement. They, they do at my husband's office. They ring a gong when they get certain, you know, they get something, uh, like an important contract or something. I'm not saying it right, but <laughs> like a very good deal. And yes. they, <laughs> they ring a gong. And I feel, I, I remember thinking, oh, that's something that. I feel like should be done in an elementary school, but I love that they're doing that at your corporate work and everybody like cheers and celebrates. Yeah. And I'm like, 
this is so cool. And what a great way. I mean, your, your bell ringing is reminding me. Yeah. So when I was building principal, the get come ring the bell and I just loved, I never got tired of it. And I'd have like yellow or our colors were green and yellow for an event county. <laughs> and so I had my little green and yellow pom-poms and would wave and secretary, you know, and the teachers and we would all clap and celebrate. And then the kids would get to ring the bell here right now. The theme is our students are gum believable. And so mm-hmm. if they meet a goal, then they get a certificate that week and a gumball. And so then there's a great big, huge, massive, um, board it kind of takes out like a whole section of the wall in our hallway and it's just covered with gumballs with the students names on there there's a gumball machine it's as cute as it can be but it's constantly (laughs) celebrating student success and success we've all heard it but success begets success and when you start focusing on that and when you turn those students in charge of this is my goal, this is where I am, you know, again, assessment capable learners, this is where I am. This is my goal. And how am I going to know if I reach that goal? Um, and they can talk about that. They can share that language. And then when they start celebrating that, it's, you know, we were talking about it yesterday in our data meeting. I'm like, it's like get out of their way because you just really can't stop it at that point. And, and they know so much about their goal. I think we talked about this when we did our pre-call, but I've got this hanging up in my office. I was just going to ask you about uh-huh. that. Yeah. <laughs> the little girl that wrote, um, it was, they were doing a lesson on Martin Luther King Jr. And it was, I have a dream. And so they asked, you know, the students were writing what their dream was. And a little girl wrote, I have a dream that I can read 116 words per minute. That was her next goal. So I can be a better fluent reader. I love that and so much. <laughs> I just love that. And, you know, that's their, when you give those students the goals, they want to reach them and the teachers have the goals. And then, you know, we always look at our benchmark and six-week check-in. Are we on pace to hit that middle of your goal? Did we hit it? And if not, okay, so we didn't. It's not going to be, you know, blame, shame, defeat, discouragement. Okay, then what are we going to do? And I always say we've we've done a lot of growth mindset work. I did it as classroom teacher, principal, and we've done a lot of it here as well. I just don't think you can do this without instilling a growth mindset in everyone that's involved in the work, the students, the teachers, um, you know, the leaders, and saying, okay, we aren't there, not we aren't there, or I can't do it. I We just aren't there yet. So what's mm-hmm. the next goal and what are we going to do? If we didn't hit it this week, what are we going to do next week? Yeah. I love that word yet. You're reminding me to use it more often. <laughs> yeah. Um, sure. Because, and that's, in education, this work is so hard. It is relentless. Um, it's daunting. It never stops. Um, you know, like, even if, I remember when I found out I was not going to, that we were exiting the focus school status at Matthews Elementary, and I was at the meeting with all the principals that had been focus school principals, and they said, oh my gosh, aren't you excited? Because now you guys can kind of, you know, back off a little bit. I'm like, oh my gosh, no, we can't. Because, you know, you can't until it's 100%. Like, you can't. And then you still, then it's, even once you hit it, you have to sustain it. And sustaining it can be just as hard as getting there. So, I think the yet and the growth mindset, we always have to focus on that because if there's a setback, stop, don't, don't focus on that. You just haven't reached that goal yet. You can and you will. And we as a team, and that's where leaders come, that's where leaders 
also come into play. Because if those teachers are discouraged, it is our work, our job, I feel, our calling um, to go in there and empower those teachers to not only believe they can do it, but help them achieve that. And to make sure and ensure that they get that done, whatever it looks like. And it looks like different things for teachers. I I mentioned to some teacher, it's actually modeling in their room. Mm -hmm. And I have done that even this year as a superintendent. And when I first offered it, don't you know, they're probably like, superintendent's going to come on my room. Like, yeah, I would, I would love to do that. It's one of my favorite things to do. Um, you know, and our principals have gone in and gone in those rooms and, and it's so powerful, but it's doing whatever it takes. If it is sitting down and planning a lesson, if it's helping them work on what should the next goals be, this is where they are. Are the goals too high? Like, do I need to raise them? Are they too low? Like all those discussions. But it's empowering not only the students, but it's empowering our teachers. And I say to our leaders here that if we aren't doing that, and I believe this so strongly, if we are not empowering our teachers to be the change agents in that classroom, then we're failing them. And I know that sounds bold, and I don't mean it to sound harsh. I really don't. But I believe it's it's what we have to pick up as a building leader, and we have to own that. That's our responsibility, and I feel that we should be held accountable for that because this happens on our watch or it doesn't happen on our watch. And it's intentional either way. It's purposeful, and it's intentional. It happens because it was on purpose and intentional by our actions, or it doesn't happen because we failed to do something. We failed to empower a teacher in the way that they needed to be empowered. Yeah, so much. I I want like a part two. So much goes into that empowerment, you know. Mm-hmm. So I and it's so would, necessary. Uh, it so, is so yes. necessary. And um, one of the other things too is just empowering the teachers to do something with one hundred percent fidelity, because sometimes it gets hard, and you know sometimes it's like, well, in my core program, and maybe maybe we do need a core program. Yeah, I get that, but we've still got to do this with 100% fidelity. Like when we added Hegarty, we added foundations first at my school, Missouri. And, you know, we have Hegarty, we had Hegarty there. We have Hegarty here doing it with 100% fidelity. Not like, Oh, I'm going to do it three times a week, but no empowering them to do and know that and holding everyone accountable. Like, no, we've got to do this with 100% fidelity. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. And the I other think thing. understanding why that's so important and that, I mean, the impact it has if, if we don't do it with fidelity and the impact that it has if we do do it with fidelity and, and what that looks like for students. And I think taking it off, taking the blame off of teachers, like you mm-hmm. said, yeah, you know, like empowering them with the why. And here's the case for students if we do it this way. And here's the case for students if we don't do it this way. Yeah. And, you know, we're all working toward this goal. So this, we want to do it in the way that's going to help students reach this goal And it's instead of a blame mindset, it's an empowerment mindset. And I think, too, with doing it with with 100% fidelity, that's where the number of repetitions comes up, too. (laughs) Because, you know, if you're doing it with 100% fidelity, then you can guarantee, okay, so this is the amount of repetitions I'm going to have in whole group, small group. Etc. So that's another reason. And and it's always explaining your why um, and always explaining your purpose. You know, so, okay, so what's the purpose? Like of this meeting, what's the purpose of this data team meeting? And Mm -hmm. we aren't going to leave here if we don't have a plan. You know, so it's what's the purpose of this lesson? That's why that lesson objective is so important. And a lot of people ask me, teachers say, like, where do I start? 
where do you start with a really good, high, really good, well-written, clear learner objective based upon a state standard? And then state it at the beginning of the lesson. This goes back. So this is kind of going to bring it all full circle. Okay, so it's based upon the standard. And then I shared that at the beginning of the lesson. I teach a little. I stop. I go back. It's referring back to that objective. Where are you now? Check for comprehension. Do you know more than you knew six minutes ago? Or we've done three more. Are you better now? Then it's talking about the relevance of that standard. Why is that important? So often I knew it as a teacher and I never asked the students why it was important and I didn't share with them. Why it was important. Now I know we have to share it with the learner, even the kindergartner and our preschool 4K learners. We have to tell them why it's important. And then that's the relevance of the standard. And then then assessing at the end, that's where the learning focus comes at. Did they learn it? Because if they didn't, what am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do in response to that data? So I was in a first grade room of one of our teachers here. And so um, our teachers in Thorpe have gotten so good at like asking students, why is this important? Why do we, why do we need to know this? Now, this is a first grade classroom. Okay. And she had them turn and talk to their partner. So again, I like sometimes get a little too dorky and got real involved. <laughs> so I was like leaning in, like listening to what they were going to say. And she said, oh, I heard such a good one. And so the little boy um, shares out his class, like their standard, they were working on, I can understand spoken words, syllables and sounds. So they were like segmenting words and sounds, a lot of like their phonemic awareness, phonological awareness. That was the part of the lesson they were on. And she had said the goal and like, why is this important? Turn and talk to your neighbor. And a little boy had said, because research, first grade, because research shows that little kids that can play with sounds become really good readers when they get bigger. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> so, you know, it's very and he's right. <laughs> he is. He is right. And I mean, you know, there there are teachers that at times didn't know that. You know, I mean, I remember not knowing the importance of segmenting phonemes and, and sure. what that yeah meant. And then once you start hearing those things, then we can't be the person that only has the knowledge, so we've got to share it. And so one of the important things about this work, too, is using the academic language with everybody and and not watering it down, but using, you know, like you'll go into our kindergarten rooms like, OK, so now we'll be working on phonemic awareness. Now we'll be working on phonological awareness. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's actually using that with those students, using accuracy, decoding fluency. And, you know, our students, you can say, um, what are the aspects of fluency? Accuracy rate expression. I mean, you know, and it's actually teaching them the clearer we are, the more transparent we are, the more we make that purposeful and relevant to the students, then we're going to empower the students as well. Make yeah. it make Andy, sense I know them. we are at time, but oh, I'm so sorry. No, I'm. I just <laughs> wanted to ask you another question, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to take too much of your time. But oh, okay, no, sure, go ahead. Okay, so I know that the the students can use this language. I'm imagining this being a bridge home as well. Mm-hmm. Do you have any stories or any anything that? really connected the dots between the students feeling this empowerment and knowing their goals and using the academic language that really shows that they understand what they're learning and the goals that they're working toward. And then any kind of stories from home where parents or 
uh, caregivers may have thought, wow, I, you know, I, I, I understand now what, what my child is doing at school. Cause sometimes as a parent, you're like, what's going on for those eight hours a day? Well, first let me say it's so important to share the work with families and parents and, mm-hmm. um, and also the community. So I've started here in um, Thorpe. We have a local newspaper, and we're the Thorpe Cardinals. And so I do a Cardinal Corner. And each week, it's just focusing on something that we're doing. I've, I've done one on science of reading. I've done some on um, explicit instruction, you know, because we really want to share that. Um, we also, in our conferences, we share those things with students or with our parents and families. And when I was a principal, I have, a, I have a really cute story, though. But when I was a principal, we would do our family literacy nights, you know. And so it was because you want to bring the parents along on the journey. I also want to throw out, you also want to bring your school board along on the journey because they have to be as knowledgeable about this as everyone else. It, it helps them really understand the work we're doing. But it, a parent called me one day um, when I was principal at Matthews Elementary, and she said, what is this deal with doing stuff with 100% accuracy? And she called <laughs> with another question. She's like, hey, Miss Hanlon, before I let you off phone. And I'm, so I said, well, you know, we really want everyone to do everything with 100% accuracy because that means you've got it mastered. And she said that her son was going, was setting the table. And she said, <laughs> and he's saying, I you know, because we would say students will be able to, or I can. And so she said, he had a seven. He said, I, I can set the table with 100% accuracy. (laughs) And so, you know, he is going around and setting the table. And so she said, like, he will say, I can brush my teeth with 100% accuracy. And, you know, but when you get that language in their minds, you know, yeah. and in their little mindsets, then they start looking at, am I doing this? Am I proficient at this? Have I mastered it? And, you know, we teach kids that you've mastered it when you can teach it to That's someone amazing. else when you know it so well to teach it. And so um, then I've also had, I've had parents call in the beginning of our work at Matthews. They would say, what's this fauna, fauna, like fauna, yeah you know, stuff. And I'm like, phonological awareness. And so on one of our parent nights, we would like actually do some of this with them. And even at a PTO meeting, like, you know, we would model, like I would do it. Another, a teacher would play the student, like, mm-hmm. you know, say pan, pan, say it again, but don't say p- and, mm-hmm. you know, um, say mailbox. And, you know, I've done that with parents before mailbox, say it again, but don't say box mail. Um, you know, we've even done that in like teacher trainings and, you know, things like that. But, you know, those are just a couple, couple of stories. So it's amazing. Yeah. If you could leave our audience with one piece of advice, like our listeners, what would it be? What would, what would you want to leave everyone with? I mean, I feel Besides like there's that a hour million things, things, things you could say. <laughs> um, I've just recently been reminded of this because, you know, as educators, I mentioned earlier, we've had very challenging few years. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've had some things, you know, we've, we've learned a lot that we didn't know that we could learn virtual instruction. I mean, you know, how to engage remote learners. Like we've done, we've learned a lot and we've had to go through a lot. I think one of the important things is remember your why. Why did you start doing this? Yeah. Um, I, I just attended a 
state conference for superintendents and we had a guest speaker there and she's a current superintendent Wisconsin and she said lean over and tell the person sitting by you why you entered education in the first place and I and if you're having a low moment or a low day low day low moment reminding yourself at all times why are we here why why are we doing this because I feel like every day if I've had no matter there are significant challenges in the role as a building leader. There are also significant challenges as a superintendent. But at the end of the day, as educators, if we can say, you know what, I did what was best for students, and I spent my day doing what was best for students, and, you know, that that's why we come to work each day. That's why we're here. If we can just keep students as our focus and as our center, and yeah, there will be discouraging things, you know, that happen throughout a school district or trying times or implementing new curriculum. I know there's a lot to get our minds off of that, but if we can just stay focused on our why, it really is all about the students, empowering them, and and are they learning to read? Because if we teach a child to read, we literally change that child's life forever. We put them on a different pathway. Um, I feel we take them off a pathway and like of poverty and we put them on a different pathway. So I think one thing is remember your why, remember your purpose, remember why it is that we do this work. We literally do what I think is the most important work that can be done. And that's educating our future. Um, the other thing is just start the work. I've had so many teachers say, you know, I want to do this, but I don't have a good, strong program. I feel like I need a better program. Just start the work. Mm -hmm. Whatever you learn, whatever you've read about or whatever you know, if you learn about, you know, phonemic awareness, implement it. If you learn it, just go implement it. Mm -hmm. um, and then after you do that, you'll learn more and then implement that. And just every little bit. Because I've left professional development sessions and thought, oh, that was great with no expectation of implementing it. Mm -hmm. And then over time, it's like, yeah, that was a really great presentation. I enjoyed it. That was a good hour, <laughs> hour and a half. That was a good day. But whatever you learn, the next piece, whether you hear it from a coworker, um, a blog, an article, this podcast from you guys and the great work that you do. I mean, wherever it is, just when you hear something, do it, yeah. try it. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just go in there and try it. Yeah, that Melissa and I have that as our podcast philosophy, because that's <laughs> how we started podcasting. So that's sweet. how I mean, every single thing that we've done to build a little community. That's how we've done it is. I mean, even as recently as like, hey, we're gonna let's do Facebook lives on Fridays. We were like, okay. And then we realized, oh, okay, it's kind of just a recap of each episode. We don't want to do that. But we we started the thing. So now how can we like two weeks in, we did it twice. How can we make it so it is what we think we need? And let's try this. And we're going to keep doing this thing, but let's try and tweak until it really does fit what we think is best for this mm -hmm. situation. And it's true. Sometimes it, you know, it, it holds you up just thinking about the thing. But if you just try it, once you have enough knowledge, go for it. I remember um, differentiated instruction was very overwhelming. When you hear that, you know, and so I did it incorrectly in the beginning and that's okay because I focused on the different part. And so at each small group station, each group had something different. Mm -hmm. And then I learned it's not differentiated assignments. It's differentiated instruction. The instruction's different, but 
I at least had started it. I was doing it like small groups. I could have waited till it had been a district wide or building wide implementation. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. I had heard Vicki Gibson talk about it. I'm like, I'm going back to my room. I'm doing this right now. And just taking those few little nuggets and then holding on to those when that success and then the next piece you learn, just going right back in and doing it. And the thing that we'll learn is we won't do it correctly the first time. But we we can't be too hard on ourselves. That's okay. Again, it's the yet. We ha- we don't have it mastered yet, but we're doing it. We're trying it. And our students will benefit by us taking those risks and by doing that. Just yeah. jumping in and doing it. Yeah. And being those good models for fearlessness. Yes, exactly. And, you know, and if you do... If you do learn something and tweak something, um, I've said that as a principal, I've said that this year, superintendent, you know, let me correct what I said. Like, um, now we're going to change that. We can do that better. I mean, you know, and just be very honest and upfront and, hey, this isn't perfect, but this is where we're going to start. We'll get better. We'll grow as a team. And I think, too, it's constantly having that growth mindset. This doesn't have to be perfect. This is where I am right now. I'm, I haven't completely arrived yet, but I will get there. And it's believing in yourself that I will get there. And I think, too, finding your community, because I don't want people to hear like, well, maybe if their building principal isn't a strong instructional leader, maybe they haven't heard that, then then find a coworker who's like-minded or find a different teacher, even if they're in a different Um, district or find someone, you know, like online or find one of these groups, a Facebook group or something, you know, because I need a a social media. Maybe we need like a reading science app where everybody can be like, find it, find your reading science match. Yeah. 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 Swipe right. Like like Tinder. Yeah. Yeah. That's a match. Reading science. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but, you know, find your people and then find something to encourage you. But always just at the end of the day, think, you know, what was it? What just find that moment? What was it that I did today for my students? Because I know there's a moment every day for sure of teachers. Yeah. Hey, Angie, thank you so much for sharing your incredible story with us and all of your wisdom. We really, really, your really time. appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> you. um, I'm very humbled that you've asked. Um, I'm always like, like, I, I'm always like, do I even, you know, is there even anything interesting to say? Because I just always feel like I'm talking about, you know, the work, but thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the work that you're doing. You're reaching so many and encouraging so many. So thank you for this opportunity today. Yeah. And we'll have to keep learning more about where you are, the stats at the end of the year, that data. So keep us posted. Yeah, we are, um, you know, on our journey and I can't wait can't wait to see where we end up. So it's exciting. Well, thank you for all that you're doing. Those students are so lucky. Well, you're welcome. We have a great team here, great teachers doing great work every single day. So we're very blessed. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening, Literacy Lovers. We release a new podcast episode every Friday and share more resources in a newsletter on Tuesday. Sign up for our newsletter at literacypodcast.com. Each week, you'll receive important information, resources, and connected content. We're excited to create a space for community discussion about our podcast. We want to connect with our listeners and support you in answering your questions. But we also realize there are a lot of other educators out there who have great advice and experience too. 
Let's keep learning together in our Melissa and Lori Love Literacy podcast Facebook group. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter. If the content in this episode helped you, share with a fellow educator and teacher friend. Our Literacy Lover community welcomes educators at every stage of their learning journey. We're so glad you're here to learn with us.